0: Today on The Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Right now though, the story that uh, led the news yesterday, of course, is uh, south of the border in uh, uh, Washington, New York, and other communities. uh, Packages with uh, crudely devised pipe bombs uh, have been delivered to the offices of multiple Democratic leaders, uh, including Bill Clinton, including Barack Obama, and the CNN newsroom, among many others. Uh, it's obviously caused a great deal of consternation right now in the, in the United States. Uh, we're very heated political time anyway because of the midterm elections which are coming up and the political rhetoric that's been going on. Uh, when news of the uh, the uh, pipe bombs being delivered uh, reached the White House, uh, President Trump had this to say.
1: Any acts or threats of political violence are an attack on our democracy itself. No nation can succeed that tolerates violence or the threat of violence as a method of political intimidation, coercion, or control. We all know that.
0: Uh, unfortunately, the president walked back on that comment just about half an hour later when he blamed the media for the frenzy that was going on and, and perhaps suggesting that it was media and fake news uh, that was causing people to send these, these pipe bombs. Uh, very troubling indeed. Joining us to talk with us is Jacob Dieheisel, of course, assistant professor of political science at the University of Buffalo College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, professor, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, this is this is troubling. I mean, th- we we expect some political uh, back and forth on this, and things do get a little bit heated from time to time. But uh, how do you how do you read what's been going on over the last twenty four hours?
1: Uh so I, t- I can't say that I'm terribly surprised, <laughs> given how the, the rhetoric has been amped up for you know, at least two years now. And uh, I, I suppose it was only a matter of time that we'd see another incident like this.
0: I'm, I'm trying to you know connect the dots in situations like this. And, I, and when I heard these stories yesterday, uh, immediately what came to my mind is, is is the number of times that the president has uh, blamed the media, blamed fake news, uh, essentially called to his, his Make America Great audiences once again, uh, to to you know to battle these people and and you know I the, was what's just the day before I guess he was talking about you know the guy that body slammed a reporter was that his kind of guy uh, it's it's probably with in that context not surprising that that this sort of thing would occur
1: absolutely not I mean it doesn't uh, take a lot to connect the dots between Trump's frequent targets in terms of you know folks he calls out be it the media establishment or particular Democrats and then connect that to specific Acts that he's talked about um, when there are protesters in, in his rallies, you know, get them out. Um, I'll pay for your legal fees, that sort of thing. And so, it, it doesn't take a great leap in logic to, to connect the two.
0: Uh, but it, it's it's interesting to see how this happens. We saw this with the Kavanaugh hearings and 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 some of the things that went on. That at one point the president seems to say the quote unquote right thing. As he did with this, but within minutes he just seems to backtrack on this, and obviously the supporters tend to do the same thing. I mean, there was a tweet from Lou Dobbs from Fox News uh, early this morning. I don't know if you saw that Jacob that essentially said these were fake bombs, fake news, and you know who would benefit from this, and you understand what this is. now hes since pulled the tweet back, but obviously uh, you you get the gist of what he was trying to say there
1: absolutely and i I've heard it uh, locally as well on on some of uh, uh, the the talk radio stations around here um you know, I think that the initial reaction many folks have is to, to spin out. Well, who could possibly be doing this? What could their motivations be? And you know, I, I think I'm a little more reluctant to, to engage in that kind of activity. But you know, I, I think in, in times of uncertainty, we run to our biases, and, and the natural reaction would be to you know say it, it's it's not our side, or it's not somebody who who um, appreciates our side or our message. It has to be someone else.
0: But to to see the political dialogue and, and, and the, the landscape changing and going to this degree, I, I'm I'm trying to think of a time in in recent history, Jacob, where this has actually even happened before, and I, and I'm I'm befuddled right now. This is this is a, a new era, as far as I can see, anyway.
1: I certainly do think that the last two and a half years or so are are a new era. Um, I think um, if Trump wants to to throw blame elsewhere, he should probably look in the mirror first. And I, I think that the the qualitative shift in, in rhetoric uh really does does originate with his campaign and, and with his arrival on the political scene um you know I don't want to engage in whataboutism but then even democrats seeing the traction that he Trump has gotten at his rallies uh have engaged in you know moving the message from Hillary Clinton's when they go low we go high to Eric Holder's uh when they go low we kick them uh, and so uh it, it it certainly does originate with Trump I don't I don't mean to to walk that back at all uh he's he certainly uh Carries the lion's share of the blame here, but both sides seem to have embraced at least some of this kind of rhetoric. And, and again, I think it was only a matter of time before someone out there took it took it way too far.
0: Well, and yeah, I guess the obvious question we have to ask ourselves is how far can this go?
1: I yeah, I, I hasten to speculate about that. Um, you know, I get this question a lot in, in talks that I give locally on campus and in the community about well, is this the the worst time we've ever lived through? Is this you know the most polarized we've ever been? And I think the answer is of course no. We we don't you know remember uh, how some of the earlier times either because we're not quite steeped in the history, or we certainly weren't alive during those time periods. But you know there there were certainly other flare ups, um, the run up to the American Civil War. Um, certainly the 1960s was not exactly a peaceful era when it, when it came to political conflict and, and rhetoric. And so. You know, there there have been flare-ups of this nature. Some have led to catastrophes. Others have led to, you know, detente and actual institutional change. And so I think that, you know, it's anyone's guess as to where this is going.
0: Well, I'm not sure detente's on the table, given the track record of the Trump administration over the last two years. But it, you're right. I mean, there can be, you know, catastrophic consequences as a result of this. And, uh, you're, you know, you go back to the 1960s, as you say, the, the civil rights movement, the, the anti-war movement that was going on, and and the uh, the, the polarization that was occurring uh, in the nation back in those days. And uh, But, you know, and then you look at what are the consequences. Well, it led to assassinations of some leaders. And, and you'd hate to think that this is what's going to happen here, but, you know, when pipe bombs are being delivered to the houses of, of some of these leaders, you have to wonder just how far that can go.
1: Absolutely. So I, I was in uh, graduate school at the University of Wisconsin Madison and uh, I took a statistics class in Sterling Hall, and it still bears the marks of a, of a bomb that was set off by a, a domestic uh, um, left leaning group. Um, but there was certainly enough to go around on, on the right, arguably within the administration itself at that time. So yeah, there, there are continual reminders of how bad it could actually
0: get. Jacob, is, is the bar been lowered now in, in political rhetoric and dialogue? As you mentioned, I, I, I saw Eric Holder's comments, too, and I, I assumed, I hoped, he was, he was just saying that in jest, but it just seems as if you know Trump has set the bar and said, this is where it's going to be. And uh, at one point, you're absolutely right, the Democrats said, we're not going to get in the mud with them, but they seem more than willing to do it now.
1: Yeah, again, I I hate to to hold up what you might term term an existence-proof and say, look, they did it too, and say that the two sides are absolutely equal. I I want to be clear that I I think it does originate with Trump, and I think that there has been a a continual lowering lowering of the bar um, of political rhetoric. Uh, We just had a debate here between our two gubernatorial candidates in New York that um, could have been, it was anything but cordial, and uh, (laughs) I think that... uh, what we've seen in the, the 2016 campaign is really just having downstream effects uh, at almost every level of race. Uh,
0: and obviously with the midterms, I mean, that's that's really the gasoline on the fire right now, because I think there was probably a time there a few weeks ago where the Democrats thought this this was over. They were home and cooled out, and they were going to win the House, and everything was going to be fine, and everything seems to be in doubt now.
1: Uh, I, I think that, that's sort of a, well... It's a narrative we have because we have to talk about something, and you know we have to sound as if it, it's going to be uh, an actual contest. I certainly think the Republicans have closed the enthusiasm gap uh, that the Democrats were really banking on to, to drive them to victory. All the models are still suggesting it's going to be a, a, a Democratic victory in the House. I don't think it's going to be quite as large as they hope it to be. Um, but at the same time, they don't have much to look forward to on the Senate side of things.
0: Well, and that was the concern. I think, uh, obviously, because of the Kavanaugh hearings, uh, they, that seemed to have, have revived the Republican base and the Trump supporters, and and there was a concern that that was actually going to be reflected in in the polls. Has that died down now?
1: I, I think people have pretty short memories, and, and given that the the Kavanaugh hearing was ultimately you know victorious for for the Republicans, uh, I think that their their base is somewhat less energized on on that issue in particular. Um, I just think the electoral math on the Senate side has always been bad for Democrats and that a few votes on the Kavanaugh hearing, perhaps Heidi Heitkamp being one of them, really kind of sealed their fate on that side. And so I think the best they can hope for is a, is a tie really on the Senate side right now um, and, and hope to, to stem the bleeding there from some folks who are, are Democrats in really red states.
0: So, what what would what be the consequences of that? Let's assume that uh, that the numbers are, are are true, and and after these midterm elections in just a couple of weeks now, uh, you've got a Democratic majority in the House. How how does that jive with what Trump wants to do? Is is its it, is it going to be the reverse of what happened with Obama in a Republican House, where virtually nothing got done that the president wanted to have done?
1: Well, I don't I don't think much has been getting done on the legislative side of things, anyways. Uh, you know, it may many of his major. Legislative initiatives such as the, the repeal and replace effort really were stalled in a in a um, legislative environment that that saw some infighting between Republicans. One of the downsides of, of winning is that you now have something of a big tent, and you have ideological divisions within within your own camp. And so, I look for Democrats to uh, take the powers that are available to them on the on the House side, such as you know some of their investigatory abilities and, and bringing members of Trump's cabinet in front of them to testify on, on a variety of matters. So. I think things are just going to get somewhat more contentious for the president, and he's always going to be playing defense. Um, What he does with that, uh, a likely outcome seems to be that he really embraces, as if he hasn't already, executive unilateralism and uses the the power of the pen to, to do something.
0: Yeah, uh, w- and he's already started that, obviously, early in his administration. Uh, I find it uh, odd as well, of course, that, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the inaction that, uh, of his administration when it comes to some of the things that he said he was going to do, uh, he tends to blame on the Democrats, and the Democrats, of course, don't even have a majority in either the Senate or in the House right now. So, uh, But are, are people buying that?
1: I, you know, people are, are really good, motivated reasoners. This is in my, my line pretty consistently in that... Um, They'll believe what they want to believe um, if, if it's at all possible, and I think that the president saying that and uh, certainly gives them hope to say, well, you know, if it weren't for democratic obstructionism, we could have all of these things that he promised and all these things that we want, whereas really they have to start looking at their own house and looking at some of the ideological divisions that are there between Trump-style Republicans and, and more establishment folks.
0: How much how, how, of an influence is Trump going to have in this election, uh, Jacob, as, as we get to the polls in just a couple of days now? Uh, obviously, he's done a lot of, of campaigning, a lot of stumping uh, with Ted Cruz and with others uh, that, that seem to be in pretty tight races right now. Uh, with the, with that base right now, do, does, does Trump still have the magic to be able to pull those votes?
1: I think so, but it's only really going to resonate in places where Republicans aren't probably that worried to begin with. Um, if you're running in a district... Uh, that's an open seat, one of those 30-plus retirements that that Republicans experienced in the last couple years. Um, If you're running in one of those seats, I'm not sure how much you're embracing Trump. And uh, I think he still plays well among segments of the public. Um, Around here locally, New York 27 is um, oddly up for grabs, a race that we didn't think would be up for grabs uh, until the summer when uh, Chris Collins was indicted. Um, That's an area where Trump's message plays well, and we recently in the Buffalo area had Steve Bannon come to town uh, to sort of drum up some support for uh, for that kind of base. And so I think in some places he's certainly still playing well. Others, um, I, I
0: imagine you see some candidates backpedaling. As, as the dust settles after the midterms, Jacob, uh, is is there a possibility of a, of a, a Democratic hopeful uh, rising from the ashes? I mean, obviously it's not going to be Hillary. We've heard Joe Biden, Eric Holder's name has been thrown around there. Uh, but obviously, if you wanted to make Donald Trump a one-term president, somebody has to come there to to actually take the lead for the Democratic Party.
1: Absolutely, a lot of names have been thrown around. It, it's not very hard to read the tea leaves with some of these uh, um, high-ranking Democrats. Um, they're miraculously making appearances in Iowa. They're you know issuing press releases that have nothing to do with their their job or their official duties. So it's not quite all. The, it's not difficult to really define the field right now. I don't know that one has emerged to really level a, a challenge to Trump just yet. Um, but certainly something could happen.
0: <laughs> well, it's going to have to happen, though, isn't it? I mean, obviously, if, if uh, Americans are going to become disenchanted with Donald Trump, uh, they've got to look at somebody else as a viable alternative. And, and I don't know that you're going to find somebody that had the charisma that Barack Obama had 10 years ago, but, uh, but that seems to be the, the standard that they're looking for now, somebody who's going to you know, gather that sort of support and they can rally around.
1: Absolutely, that'd be the ideal. Uh that being said, um, I don't know how much this uh crosses borders, but uh negative partisanship seems to be something that's taken hold in the last couple of years in the United States where you're not so much enamored with your party as you are angry at the other one. And so I think with sufficient anger on the left, uh with Donald Trump, uh certainly they could pull the lever for absolutely anybody in that position. Um, and that that you know may present something of an opportunity for them.
0: Well, it's going to be fascinating to see how it emerges over the next little while. Jacob, thank you so much for the time today. Pleasure talking with you. Of course, always. Take care, Jacob Nighheisel from uh, the uh, University of Buffalo College of Arts and Sciences. Uh, interesting times politically and uh, dangerous times on the political scene in the United States. And as we mentioned, uh, the, the FBI and others are investigating, including New York City police about the pipe bomb situation. And uh, obviously, as we get updates, we'll pass those on to you. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.